Welcome to the Investing Mastermind Podcast. I'm Michelle Markey. And I'm Sina Lundholt. And today we're going to talk about a subject of what not to invest in when it comes to stocks or companies, because I think there's a lot of lessons here. And we'll cover a few areas related to what not to invest in. And the one that's top of mind for me is an initial public offering or IPO, where a company that may have been around for a few years as a private company now wants to get additional funding, usually for expansion by going to the public markets and listing their stock for the public to be able to invest in. So that's basically what an IPO is, is when a company is ready to go to the next level in terms of getting more funding from the general public so that it can go toward funding their growth and you know more that they want to do as a company. So I've lately been kind of fascinated by one company that I'll explain, but Tina, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of weigh in here with if you've learned a little bit about IPOs before, come across them in your own investing journey. I've never invested in an IPO, not as a Buffett investor, of course, but not before that either. I do remember a couple of times where I've had friends, and especially in the past, before I knew about more Buffett-style investing, and I thought it was about jumping on trends and making yeah. bets for the future. I do remember that there was a couple of companies that I was interested in, but I actually never bought an IPO. I never got to it. I know of people who bought Facebook right when it came out. I was in the social media industry right when Facebook came out. So I remember the IPO. Yeah. And some of them could be like home run hits to use a baseball analogy where you hit it out of the park. Like some of them uh, might've been like Facebook could have been one of those types of companies where mm -hmm. you hit it out of the park, but others may not necessarily like if some people may have bought Apple at its IPO and then Apple could have gone really down and the same thing with Amazon. So people could have freaked out when some of those companies had periods of going really down. But if they held for decades, then they were ultimately right. But just because you buy it at what seems like a low stock price when it first comes out, doesn't always mean that it will really stay up forever. Like it will just be like an upward trajectory without any bumps along the road. So yeah, and I remember, or I don't know if you remember the dot-com era back in 2000s. You know, there are companies today that we have no idea ever existed that IPO'd back then and oh, yeah. just crashed. So yeah, some, there are some, example. Yeah, so many. Like I heard, I didn't invest back then, but I like, as I was a little bit too young, but I, I heard about how there's so many dot-com stocks. I want to say maybe pets.com or one of those or like, there were so many IPOs of, of internet stocks that did not really go anywhere. So yeah, there's been a lot of controversy with IPOs because it can be exciting. And I'll save one of my mistakes related to an IPO for a future episode. So stay tuned for that. It's a little story. It's not that big of one, but just as a little teaser. And then with this current IPO that I thought was interesting, there's this Mediterranean fast casual cuisine called Cava. And they used to be called Cava Meze. I think Cava Meze might be the original, but they branched out into just calling themselves Cava. And, you know, it's like Greek and Turkish food, but on an oh, assembly line. That. Yeah, like on an assembly line, kind of like Chipotle style. So 
in some ways, there could be a lot of interest in this kind of Mediterranean fast casual that could be like a future Chipotle and they just IPO'd on June 15 this year. So it's exciting because you're like, ooh, they're growing really fast. And I discovered them for the first time back in 2016 in the Washington DC area. And I thought the food tasted good. And then when I saw them just IPOing, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But the part where I should not get too excited is where as a publicly traded company, it's basically only been around for a month. So it doesn't have what the Warren Buffett style of investing would prefer to have a more of a longer track record in terms of can they continue to put up good earnings numbers and revenues, and they just haven't been around long enough in the public markets to make that be something that you can really study deeply. So it's still a little bit too new. And I think from learning from Phil Town, it's preferred that a company should have at least 10 years of financial track record before we even consider it as a real investment idea. So I just want to put that out there as even though it's exciting, it's something you have to be a little bit mindful about and not just get swept away with the hype right away. For us as Warren Buffett style investors, we would not invest in an IPO. Like you say, there's simply not enough information for us to understand the business and the numbers. Some investors that are investing Buffett style might have a part of their portfolio that's a gambling portfolio. I would say 10% of my portfolio, I call my gambling portfolio, where I might invest in something like that. Now, as mentioned, I have never invested in an IPO or bought an IPO. I wouldn't necessarily call it investing when it's, you know, more like speculation. But I do have a gambling portfolio where I can spend some of my money on taking chances. And that would be in that portfolio. Something that I do not invest in, some industries that I stay clear of, are industries that are going through disruption. And one of those industries is the payment industry, you know, the credit card industry, not necessarily because that's actually also a very difficult industry to understand as a normal person. It's very complex, but it's also going through disruption right now. We see, especially from China with Alipay, where, you know, you don't need a bank account to get Alipay. And there's a Swedish company called uh, Klana that's also not, it's also different from the payment systems that's used by Visa and MasterCard and American Express. So there will be things happening in the payment industry over the next years. We see cryptocurrencies coming out where there could be some disruption going on there. So it's just an area where now is the time to stay clear because it will go through disruption. And on the other side, we'll see who the winners are. Is it going to be companies like Alibaba, which in China is a huge company still? Or will we see that the banks will still be the gatekeepers of money, so to speak? So for me, that's an industry that's going through disruption is not something that I want to invest in. And I know, Michelle, before we also talked, you mentioned another industry that's going through disruption about, you know, electrical vehicles and cars and things like that, that might also be risky to invest in right now. I wouldn't invest in Tesla, not because Tesla isn't great or anything, but because I just don't know enough about where the electric vehicle market is headed. And I've heard that China 
controls about three fourths of the resources that go into batteries like lithium, cobalt, and nickel. So that's a huge risk in terms of geopolitical problems because the USA is somewhat trying to get away from China in manufacturing, but yet if we wanna keep pushing electric vehicles, we're gonna push more American car companies to rely on China. So it's sort of like this weird tug of war back and forth of like, as much as there's a sort of uncomfortable relations right now between the USA and China, but if the USA really wants electric vehicles to become a real thing, they're going to need to repair some of the reputational damage that's been done with China and try to get along. And that's been the moral of the story from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett all along is we should get along with them. We shouldn't be trying to butt heads. Some people are butting heads at the political arena, but in terms of business, it probably is better for humanity if if we try to find a way to get along because maybe the electric vehicle market will plateau instead of exponentially rising like a lot of people are banking on it just going to the moon but you can't just expect something to go to the moon when there are real human limitations and there's always a limiting factor whether it's resources or political will or business regulation there's so many potential things that can hold stuff back so you know it's kind of funny like it's not like we've seen Berkshire Hathaway invest in a lot of electric vehicles. Like they invested in BYD, which was a Chinese electric vehicle company. So that bet paid off. But it's not like I've seen Berkshire invest in Tesla either, although they have invested in some of these other industries that we're a little bit a, a little bit unsure about. Like they've invested in Visa and MasterCard, which are some of the legacy payment systems, and also a bunch of banks like Bank of America. But are they investing in some of the modern payment systems? Like that remains to be seen, but they did take a chance also on one IPO, which is the Snowflake cloud business. Like they Berkshire stays away from IPOs also generally, except for that one that they got into in 2020. And they might still be up on that stock if they may have bought the IPO at maybe $120 a share. And right now, Snowflakes trading around the $170 per share range. So they could still be up on that investment. But for, for most of us, this is another lesson, is that Berkshire is considered an institutional investor and they can do things like invest in an IPO at the more favorable lower prices. But many of us, we're not at that level. We can't get in when Cava came out at an IPO of $22. They they came out more in the $40 per share range as soon as they hit the public market. So that's already double what the institutional people and the founders were able to you know, have their valuation of their stock at. So just because an IPO is coming out at $22 per share doesn't mean it's accessible to most everyday people like you and I. We, we can't even get it that low right now if we wanted to. So it's something as a lesson to learn of, you know, be careful if you think like, oh, you know, Warren Buffett can do it. Why can't I? Like sometimes we can do what Warren Buffett can do. And sometimes we we are not at that level yet. So that's a very important lesson to take away. And even BYD, like Berkshire had definitely special connections to Lee Lu through Charlie Munger. I'm sure they've found ways to invest in BYD, but even a lot of Chinese 
companies are not very accessible to Western investors sometimes. So that's another caveat to be mindful about of things that we either cannot invest in or maybe we shouldn't invest in because it's just way outside of our circle of competence and outside of our league. I kind of like combined a lot of what not to invest in with like Berkshire examples, but I hope that helps people kind of put it also into perspective. Yeah, and to pick up on on some of the things you mentioned, just to clarify also for beginner investors in particular, is that with these IPOs, institutional investors, they do get access to invest in the company before we as individual investors, before we get the chance. So there are some institutions and some investors that does get access and get to buy into a company before it's being offered to to the general public. And second of all, one thing I also wanted to touch, to touch upon regarding vehicles, I remember that in some annual meeting, and I can't remember which one, but Warren Buffett did show us a chart about automobile companies throughout time. There used to be over 2000, I can't remember different kind of automobile companies. And, you know, now we're, we're down, even though with the electrical vehicle industry, we do see more companies coming out. And I see a lot of beginner investors that are asking questions about the electrical vehicle, should we invest in this company? And should we invest in this company? And I can you know, from from a Warren Buffett investing perspective, most of them aren't good businesses. They simply don't have the earnings that we require. They don't have the the quality business model that we as Warren Buffett investors require. So it's definitely something to keep an eye out for as a beginner investor is do they come out with a profit or a loss, these companies and, you know, you're gambling if you're buying companies that are coming out with a loss over a long period of time. Yeah, because it's it's very easy to pick a mediocre business in in something that has a ton of competition. Like like unlike Apple, there's so much competition in the the car world. So Apple is very good at what it does with its ecosystem, with its smartphones and smart uh devices, and there's very few competitors to that. You know, kind of Samsung Microsoft and Google a little bit, but Apple is very unique in its business mode. That's why it's been able to maintain its advantages over some of its competitors. But in especially when electric vehicle manufacturing becomes very standardized and very just normal, there's just so many competitors. There's so many legacy car manufacturers out there that are they were desperately trying to catch up to Tesla. And so I don't know if Tesla will always have its first mover advantage if it can maintain a, any moat per se. Like, I don't know if they are that unique with their IP and, and their being able to protect their intellectual property rights, if they can hold off other companies. But, you know, there's, you know, uh, Tesla's also competitor might not even be American. It might be Chinese with the rise of a lot of Chinese electric vehicles that are made very cheaply. Who knows, maybe America will begin to import Chinese cars someday that are EVs. And, you know, imagine Tesla's, you know, still cost a lot. But what if we import a lot of Chinese cars and they only cost like $10,000? 
that would maybe seriously put a dent in Tesla's economics if we can get really great electric vehicles from abroad, just like we got really great Japanese cars like in the 80s with Toyota and Subaru and Honda. If we get really great cars from abroad, then that might hurt American car manufacturers. So it's really hard to tell who will be the winner in like 10, 20 years from now in terms of the electric vehicle market. Yeah, and exactly. And that's also Buffett's point when he showed those 2000 vehicle companies or auto businesses was exactly it was impossible to pick a winner back then. It was in the early 1900s. And now we have a new revolution happening within this industry where new car companies are popping up. And it's simply too difficult right now to pick out which company will win. And that's why for us as Buffett style investors, we probably would not invest in that industry unless we had some knowledge about who the winner would be in the industry. Another industry to move on to something completely different I would not invest in is the medical industry. And here in Denmark, we do have a medical company that we're very proud of called the Novo Nordic. And it's also on the American Stock Exchange, NVO. And we're very proud of that company here. And it's just one of those companies that keeps on growing year after year after year. The issue about these companies is that it's very difficult to understand their pipeline. With these products, they might not get approved by authorities and it could take years and years of testing. Like, for example, a couple of years ago, my husband was all fired up about this company he heard up from a friend and he wanted us to invest in that business. And it was a medical business. And I was, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, it, it comes out with this product and then the stock will just go through the roof and we should go in and invest in it. And now years after that product still haven't come out, it's not mm -hmm. been approved it's been tested. They've tried to get it approved. It's still not approved. So you're just taking a huge risk with this medical industry. Even if you know about the industry, you still don't know if something is going to come in the way of approval from authorities. Is there going to be new laws? Things like that happening. It's very, very difficult to invest in something like that. And it would be speculation again. I think I just heard you say it might be too risky and what I want to add on to that was, yeah, with the biotech companies, the risks are plentiful. Like, even if it seems new and exciting or like it's an obvious winner, you know, there's a lot of popular drugs out there. What's somewhat of an unfortunate thing is a lot of pharmaceutical companies make profits by people staying on medicines and drugs. And that's kind of good and bad. It's kind of bad because some people may not always need some drugs to, to do certain things. Like, for example, there's been a lot of weight loss drugs that have been becoming popular from some of these very reputable pharmaceuticals. But Including Novo. <laughs> exactly. Is that, but is that a sustainable way to lose weight with weight loss drugs? Like it, some people might see it as sort of cheating, like instead of doing things in a natural way, like proper exercise and food, like nutrition, I'm not going to say diet because diet is a taboo word, but proper nutrition and exercise, like things that everybody knows, everybody knows 
to be healthy, we should exercise and eat well, but it's hard to maintain that. So some people might turn to drugs that were originally meant for people with diabetes. So that's another tricky thing is like getting a prescription. And if people want to go that route, but then people become dependent and they're paying a lot of money for some of these weight loss drugs that may or may not be effective because a lot of the problem that happens to people is as soon as they stop a certain regimen, they gain all the weight back too. So it's like, is it really a truly sustainable answer? So pharmaceutical companies make money on people having medical problems and issues. So it's kind of like, it's sort of an industry that makes you feel a little bit weird. Like if it's, if it's truly life-saving and important, then sure. But then there's also the opioid epidemic where people got addicted to a lot of pharmaceutical drugs. So that's also bad. So it's sort of like this sort of, industry that has both vice and virtue like and you have to you have to kind yeah, of because really i know for understand. example with the, some of the weight loss uh, mm -hmm. now i know some people that are on some of these weight loss drugs and i also know that they've been struggling for years there's different medical conditions and they've been really really happy that these drugs exist but i also see your point about okay the day you stop then you're going to gain the weight again and it's very expensive medicine so that's the sad part about the medical industry and that they have so much power over what they you know launch that it could be highly where it becomes highly addictive so yeah that's the thing about the medical industry like exactly like you say it's just like ugh, it's such a difficult and and industry. even if And even if, okay, let's say you look past that, the ethical dilemma in some of these both vice and virtue stuff. Also, I can save a little lesson about a sort of mistake on dividends. But let's say you're like, oh, pharmaceutical is reliable. You know, we will always need medicine and I can collect a dividend from a company. But did you really study the company and understand what they're doing? Like you, to your point about the pipelines and what are they actually making? and What's going on? Because just because they're giving a dividend doesn't mean they're a healthy company and, you know, they could be going nowhere. They could be giving you all their cash and then they don't have anything left to grow. So Absolutely. that might be a warning sign and also not to invest in a company like that. And it doesn't only- And Medi-Rights rates, R-E-I-T, are very popular for dividend investors. Oh, the, so the real estate point, investment trust? Well, yeah, but where it's medical- It's yeah, there could thing. be so many, so many dividend companies like consumer packaged goods, like Procter and Gamble, Coca-Cola, if some of those give dividends. But for example, there's, as you probably know, with rates, there's an, an advantage, a tax advantage for these companies. And right now it's, at least here in Denmark, it's hip. It's one of those things that's being discussed on social media mm -hmm. to invest in particularly medical companies and rates, you know, medi rates, I think it's called for dividends. So, yeah, it's uh, just to your point about losing money. So, you know, watch out before you invest in those rates and make sure it's they're not using debt to pay off a dividend. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother whole nother can of worms. Like we could probably talk about, you know, the pitfalls of potentially investing in a real estate investment trust, because some people get stuck, like they might not have as much liquidity as you think. And then as soon as some people get spooked, they want to withdraw their money, cash out of it. But then when some institutions realize that people are doing that, then they might be like, whoa, stop. We're going to put a stop on this 
security and then only a little bit get to take their money out. So you have to be really careful about what you are really investing in. So to me, that's another thing not to invest in if I don't know what what exactly are the rules of being able to buy into it and more importantly, sell out of it if you need to. Very, very good point. There are certain regions of the world that I do not invest in. It's countries where I don't understand the culture. It's countries where I don't necessarily agree with a political agenda. So there are countries where I stay clear of it. They might have great companies. Maybe they don't. It's difficult to know if you don't understand the culture. And that's where something we could talk about in the future could be diversification. Where is it good to be diversified if it's in a country that you where you don't understand the culture and the accounting principles of that culture? So that's something that you as an investor also need to think about before you invest in a certain stock in a certain country. And even with tax rules, I know with Canada, there are certain states in Canada where there's certain tax rules. It's definitely something where you should understand what you're getting into before you you invest. We saw that play out with Russia. As soon as there was the Ukraine-Russia problem, a lot of Western companies left Russia, like McDonald's stopped operating there. And then I heard Russia rebranded some of those former restaurants that were McDonald's. So that's one example. There's so many or like yeah, countries. And Buffett actually also mentioned at an annual meeting that he had invested in Russia. It was in oil and he was never, ever, ever going to invest in Russia again because yeah. they... And another they one been... is like if there's a lot of rampant inflation in certain countries and then there might be monetary instability. So, I mean, there's like so many potential pitfalls. Like we only covered the tip of the iceberg and potential things not to invest in. But we hope that that gave you guys some flavor. And, you know, I know it might sound a little bit dreary and gloomy, but by not making these mistakes, you can end up being so much wealthier just by not making these uh, really controversial and problematic investments. If you don't know what you're investing in, if you don't understand it, and if it just doesn't make you feel comfortable, just stay away. Yeah. Invest in something simple. I think Warren Buffett says, is technology going to change how we chew gum? Probably not. So invest in a gum producing company or equivalent to, to that rather than something that's just very difficult to understand. All right. Our time is up for today. We will be back on Tuesday. Till next time. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday. The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice. And if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.